You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. Have you enjoyed our Unmasked series so far? Come on, did anyone enjoy Pastor Robert Madhu last week? I've got a new word for you. That's Madhu-tiful. It was, uh, it was cool, eh? Amazing. The butt me glasses. I don't know about you, but I've, that image is impressed in my mind, but... Uh, we're in our Unmasked series. In fact, we're going to finish up our Unmasked series today. And I believe that I've got a word that uh, God has spoken to me about over months and months and months. So I'm going to let you in on my pain uh, and hopefully give you some freedom. Uh, but let's pray. Hey, Father, we thank you for everything you're doing. God, I pray for every person who's brand new. I pray for every person who is in church, maybe for the first time or maybe just coming back to church. God, I pray today that we would encounter your love and your grace, that every person who is here for the first time would feel a safe, welcome environment and feel the drawing of a God who loves them, not a God who wants to hold them away, but a God who wants to hold them close. So Father, today, would you have your way in Jesus' name? And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Hey, if I was to ask you who your favorite Bible character was, I wonder who it would be. Hopefully, if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, a lot of us would say Jesus, because that's who all we're trying to be like, right? We're trying to all be like Jesus. But let's take Jesus as a given. I wonder who your favorite Bible character would be. I wonder if you'd go for the brains and the beauty and the boldness of Esther. I wonder if you'd go for the wisdom of Solomon. I wonder if you'd go for David. And dance naked before, no, let's not do that one. I, I, I wonder if you'd go through the, the great leadership of the Apostle Paul. I wonder who your favorite person in the Bible is. And then if I was to adjust the question a little bit and go, who do you feel like you're most like in the Bible? Maybe they're two very different characters. Maybe you're completely unfiltered and inconstant like Peter. You ever noticed in Scripture, the only reason Peter ever opened his mouth was to change feet, take his right foot out to put his left foot in? You ever, you ever notice that? I wonder whether you are prone to tantrums or dummy spits like Moses. I wonder if you've got a thousand wives like Solomon. If you do, you've got a problem. We've got a counseling department and you can go and see them later. But when I read about Jacob, I can see my life in Jacob. I can see my story in Jacob. You see, Jacob was simultaneously smart. I'm in a lot of planning meetings during the week and oftentimes I'll come up with an idea and someone around the table will inevitably, inevitably look at me with a shocked look on their face and go, that's a great idea. Like they're shocked, a great idea could come out of this mouth. I'm like, well, I only have one a day, so I might go home now, I'm done, I'm, I'm spent. But, but Jacob could be simultaneously smart and five minutes later do something really stupid. I feel like the only alcoholic confessing at an AA meeting. He was both passionate and insecure. He could be both servant-hearted and really selfish all in the same day. Come on, anyone relate to Jacob? But the truth is, Jacob's problems weren't really about being smart and dumb or being servant-hearted and selfish or about being passionate and insecure. All those were superfluous and add-ons. What Jacob's real problem was, was an identity problem. 
All of those things came out of the fact that Jacob struggled with who he really was. You ever had that struggle, struggling to find out who God had really created you to be? Why do we wear masks? Why do we portray things that we really are? Why is there a difference between who we really are and who we present ourselves to be? Why is there a gap between who I intend to be in the morning and on my nighttime reflections who I've been that day? Come on, anyone ever had one of those days? Today's going to be different. I'm not going to do that today. And at the end of the day, flip, I did it again. That's a Britney Spears song. My bad, sorry. You know, I love social media. I, uh, preachers seem to beat up on social media. But I've learned this. Social media is an amazing servant, but a terrible master. Social media was originally designed to bring down the challenges of geographical separation. I've lived in three countries in my life and I love the fact that I don't now have to wait for a mail, a snail mail to reach my letterbox to find out a friend had a baby. Within 10 minutes, I can find out a friend's had a baby, see the baby, see what's going on and and check it all out because of social media. And I, I love the fact that we can see other people's lives in social media. But do we really see people's lives in social media Or do we see carefully selected, filtered, 47 photos later, the right perception of what people are trying to portray on social media? I was at Hillsong Conference a few weeks ago and the stage was massive. It was, I don't know how big it was. It must have been either a third or a half kind of the size of this auditorium. And on top of it, it had this massive dove glossily painted or projected or something. I don't know, the tech guys we had to tell them, but it was amazing. I saw people trying to take photos of themselves with the dove in the background, trying to get their fat head in the right angle with the dove on the background. They'd take 14 photos just to get their best side. What happens if you're like me and you don't have a best side? They like the back of your head. Like how? Taking 14 photos just so they can project the right thing. What we see on social media is people's carefully selected, right-filtered, crafted perception of what they want you to see. The truth is the same as vice versa if I was to look at your social media. You know what Jacob teaches us? Jacob teaches us that even if we can become an expert at wearing our mask, it can never replace the real us. Even if we build a mask that is pristine and perfect, it can never replace the real us. But we we need to see this, but we need to understand Jacob's life to get some lessons out of why Jacob wore a mask. Can we go on a journey with Jacob this morning? Uh, We need to learn from Jacob's story. And to do that, we need to go back to the beginning of Jacob's story because the circumstances of Jacob's birth tell us a lot about the trajectory of his life. The circumstances of how he was born actually gives us a snapshot into the story of his genealogy, the people who went before, and if he doesn't change some things, the people that will go after. So come with me to Genesis chapter 25, verse 21. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, it'll be up on the screen. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. Men, it's a good thing to do. Because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? 
She went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. That sounds really uncomfortable to me. Like I've seen my wife with one child in her womb. Two nations are in your, ouch. Two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When it came time for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out, the first to come out was red, and his whole body was a hairy garment. I've seen babies like that. Not my daughters, but I've seen babies like that. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth. Derek? 60 years old. It's not too late. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skilled hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home amongst the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. That's not a great start in life when mum loves the younger and dad loves the older. So you've got Isaac and Rebecca. No, got that wrong. God's got Abraham, Isaac. Yeah, Isaac and Rebecca, Esau and Jacob. Things weren't smooth sailing in Isaac's tent when you've got divided loyalties between mum and dad and kids. But I think we can learn a lot as to why we wear masks out of this story. Let me give you the first thought out of this story. We wear masks because we're born into a competitive world. You know, to get the full story of this, you actually have to go back one generation further. Abraham and Sarah, who were Esau and Jacob's grandparents, Isaac's dad, were promised by God that through them would become a lineage of many nations. Through them, through Abraham and Sarah, that there would be more children come than the sands on the seashore. You reckon two nations are uncomfortable. More children would come than the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. But what happened was after a period of time, Abraham and Sarah began to get frustrated because the promise of God wasn't coming to pass. How many wish that a promise of God would come with a time frame as well? I will do this in this time frame. So Sarah hatches a plan to make the promise of God come to pass. She goes to Abraham, who's the grandfather. She goes to Abraham and says, hey, I can't give you any kids. So why don't you take my servant Hagar and produce a child and we'll see the promise of God come that way. So Abraham did, as all husbands do, obeyed his wife and went and lay down, lay down with the maidservant and produced a child called Ishmael. Ishmael grew up knowing that he wasn't actually the fulfillment of the promise. 
That he was like the plan B. That he was like, he wasn't the main attraction, if you like. And 14 years later, because the promise was never for Abraham and Hagar to have a child, the promise was for Abraham and Sarah to have a child. So 14 years later, Abraham and Sarah had a child, and Ishmael despised the child who was Isaac. Because he knew that Isaac had a place in his dad's heart that he could never take. So you read the Bible and when Isaac is three years old, the Bible says that Ishmael was so cruel to him that it divided Abraham and Sarah. And we fast forward and you'd think that Isaac growing up in that culture, knowing that he was favored by his dad, and that Ishmael was favored by Hagar. You think Isaac would have learned a lesson, but now Isaac is in his family and Isaac and Rebekah have had children, Esau and Jacob. And it seems that all Isaac has learned is to protect the favorite child. Because in those days, if you were first born, you got what was called a birthright. And the birthright means you got double the inheritance of every other child. So Abraham favored Esau because he got the birthright. And here's the deal. When, when life is competitive, we get comparative. Where there is competition, there is comparison. Why do we wear masks? Because we're born into a competitive world. And when we're in a competitive world, competition creates comparison. Because the only way that a competition ends is that someone wins. Can I bring a recent example of this? How many remember the All Blacks test against the Lions just a couple of weeks ago? Too soon? Like too soon? We drew for crying out loud. In what game and in what test is there a draw? How could that be right? Go to Golden Point, have an arm wrestle, do something so that someone's a winner. I will never forget the picture of the two captains standing there, each with a hand on the cup like, Like, am I happy about this? Or And then the rest of the team all dejected in the background. No self proud Kiwi stood up and went, what a great sport this is. They all just gave it their best. Good on them. They had a great old time. No no one stood up and yelled, you're all winners in my eyes. Why? Because competition in sport is good. Because in competition, there is a winner and a not winner. Competition in some arenas of life is healthy. In sport, it's healthy. In some business ventures, it's healthy. But when competition becomes dangerous is when there is a wrong mindset behind it. Competition can help us become better by removing obstacles. Because here's the deal. If I'm competing against someone, I want to know what their weakness is so I can capitalize on it and get a strength in that area so I can win. Competition can help us become better by removing restrictions and helping others. But competition becomes dangerous when it comes from a scarcity mindset. Competition becomes dangerous when it comes from a scarcity mindset. A scarcity mindset Comes is this thought, not everyone can win. For me to win means you have to lose. 
For me to do what God's called me to do, it means someone can't do what God's called them to do. And this is exactly where we find Esau and Jacob. Esau wins the first and the most important race. He is born first. And then Jacob follows, the Bible says, grabbing at the heel of Esau. I wonder if even in the womb, Jacob realized, I've got to come out first. And he was born into a competitive mindset. You know what challenge this creates? Is the second reason we wear masks. Because we are all looking for worth. And if I'm first, then someone else is second. And everyone knows first is better than second. We're hardwired for relationships which means we're looking for validation and affirmation in others. We need people. We need friends. We need family. We need relationships to become all that God has called us to be. We need the proximity of people in our world so that we can become all God's called us to be. Does anyone thank God for your friends and your relationships and your family? Come on, if you're thankful, put your hands together and thank God for the relationships He's put in your world. We need people to develop into fully, fully functioning human beings. Here's the problem. Where there is dysfunction in our environment, we take on that dysfunction. I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional home and I always thought that my friends grew up in functional homes. I've been uh, doing church life for 20 years now and I've learned something. Every home is dysfunctional. Like there are people who I look at in this room and they are my hero. Like John and Kerry Petrie, dysfunctional. <laughs> Richard and Sandy Innes, dysfunctional. Pete and Karen McNair, dysfunctional. Vic and Ruth Wilson, dysfunctional. Everyone is dysfunctional. The question is not, are you dysfunctional? The question is, what dysfunctional exists and to what degree does it exist in your home? See, Esau's name means red. Really creative. We read that he came out red and hairy. Thank God I didn't name my kids by the first thing that popped into my head when I saw them. Oh. Slimy? Oh. Screaming? So Esau's name means red, but Jacob's name literally means heel grabber. But what that figuratively means is supplanter. Let me tell you what it means. It means someone who becomes something or someone else to get what they want. It's to get what they want by schemes, strategies, and taking the place of another. Now, in today's world, names don't mean a whole lot in our Western civilization. My name is Scott Lee Thornton. When I was born, my parents decided on Scott Andrew Thornton. True story. Decided on Scott Andrew Thornton. I was born in Singapore for all my Singaporean friends. My dad went down to the births, deaths and registries to register my birth. And on the little certificate, couldn't fit the name Andrew on the line. So wrote the name Lee. <laughs> went home and told my mum, hey, by the way, he's now Scott Lee Thornton. And I've been that for 41 years ever since. But here's the deal. In other cultures, names mean a whole lot more. 
There is a Bible college student that just graduated from our college just, just last month, and his name is Jinwei Tan. Now, Jinwei Tan is a doctor who gave up 12 months of his practice to go and do Bible college, and we learned a lot about Jinwei in the 12 months he spent with us around staff. Jin is a family name. Like, Jin's his dad's name, and Jin's his cousin's name, and Jin's his brother's name, and here a Jin, there a Jin, everywhere a Jin Jin, you walk into his home and say Jin and you've got 47 men running towards you. Like Jin's just a very common name. Jin means kind. Wei is his specific name that his mum gave him and it means great. As we got to know Jin, we realised that he'd lived his whole life fearing obscurity because he had the same name as everyone else. His fear, his greatest fear is that he would live a life of insignificance, that no one would, he wouldn't do anything, he wouldn't amount to anything. And then through the series of, uh, the year of Bible college, he had God encounter after God encounter. And he realized that although his name was Jin Wei, which means kind and great, kind and great doesn't come from a name that someone gave him. Kind and great comes from a deposit of God on the inside of him that he doesn't have to look to a name to validate himself, but he can look to God to validate him and those around him who saw him. He was looking for worth and wearing a mask because of having to live up to something that others had put on him. So why do we wear masks? Because we're born into a competitive world. Because we're looking for worth. If you're looking for worth, it doesn't make you bad, it makes you human. Every human being is looking for validation and affirmation. It's a basic need of humanity. And thirdly, why are we wearing masks? Because we're set up to be let down. We're hungry for validation. We're hungry for affirmation. Yet yet where there is imperfection and dysfunction in our environment, it will affect us. We're set up to be let down. You see, Jacob grew up in a divided home. Isaac, his dad, loved Esau, his brother, and and Sarah, his mum, loved... Sarah, did I get that right? Rebecca... Rebecca, his mum, loved him more. Why did Isaac love Esau more? Because number one, he was his firstborn and therefore had the birthright. And number two, the Bible says that Esau was a man of the wild. He loved to be outside and Isaac was also a man of the wild. I, I believe that Isaac allowed his bias to shape the way he saw his sons. God, let us be a church that doesn't allow our bias to shape the way we see those coming through this door, that regardless of your wiring, regardless of your gifting, there is a place here where you can be accepted and loved for who you are. Jacob grew up in dysfunction because he wasn't a man of the wild. He loved to be at home amongst the tents with his mum. And because he was... Because he was in a place where he was set up to be let down, all of a sudden, because he was looking for worth and because he was born into competition, he thought that the only way that he could find success and satisfaction was to get that birthright. And the Bible says that Rebecca, his mum, knew because God had told her that the older would serve the younger. So they schemed a way together 
to get the birthright off Esau. Esau one day was out hunting and he came in and he said, I'm starving, I'm gonna die. Esau was like a whiny little baby. Come on, any parents of teenagers know that? So I'm starving, I'm gonna die. Dude, you had breakfast four hours ago. So Esau comes in and, and says, I'm starving, I'm gonna die. And Isaac says, I'll give you a bowl of stew if you give me your birthright. Esau goes, no problem, and exchanges a bowl of stew for the birthright and walks out having no idea of what he has just done. Fast forward, Isaac the dad, because in those days you could have a birthright, but it's only activated with the blessing of the father. So fast forward a few years and Isaac the dad is about to pass away. The Bible says that his eyes were growing dim. So he calls Esau, the one who he thought had the birthright, and says, go out, hunt, make a bowl of stew. Once I've had a good meal, I will bless you and activate the birthright. Rebecca, the mum, overhears this and says to Jacob, hey, we've got to stop this. Does this sound familiar? One generation before, Sarah couldn't wait for the promise of God. So she manufactured a situation. Now, take at this point, and Rebecca's doing exactly the same thing. She says to Jacob, go and kill a sheep. We'll make a stew. We'll skin the sheep and put the fur on you. Flipping how hairy was Esau? We'll put the fur on you. Then go into your dad. So Esau made himself smell, sorry, Jacob made himself smell like Esau, look like Esau and sound like Esau to go before the father to get the blessing of the father. That all transpires and in a moment, Jacob gets what he always wanted and in an instant loses what he needs. Because the Bible says that when Esau found out what Jacob had done, he wanted to kill him. So Jacob runs and flees for his life. Can I tell you that when you're going after the blessing of God the wrong way, you are set up to be let down. You may get what you want, but it won't be the internal satisfaction that you're going for. One of my daughters, her entire goal in life is to be taller. Like she's, she can tell you to the centimeter how tall she is. She's 14 tomorrow. If she had the microphone, she'd tell you all she's 14 tomorrow. This is a public service announcement. She's 14 tomorrow. And her goal is to get taller. So I say to her, hey, babe, you can pray that Jesus during the night will grab you by your head and grab your toes and stretch you out a little bit. And you may wake up a little bit taller. But have you seen your mother and father? <laughs> we can barely see over a garden gnome. You're not working with great genes here. You're never going to be seven foot four. It's never, it's not in your bloodline. But here's the deal. Even if you woke up taller, it's not going to satisfy the internal need. Why don't you believe God to be taller in your faith and taller in your words and taller in your outworking and taller in your relationships? Why don't you have a goal that is God has put inside of you? Because Jacob finds that he gets what he always wanted and it kills everything that he has. So he runs off and he goes to his uncle Laban's house and tries to take refuge there. And at uncle Laban's house, uncle Laban has two daughters. The Bible describes uh, Leah. Let me get this right. The, 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 the Bible describes Rachel as pretty and Leah as not. 
plane. So Jacob says to Uncle Laban, if I work for you for seven years, can I have the pretty one? And Laban, who is a bigger deceiver than Jacob, catch this, says, yeah, sure, no problem. So Jacob works for seven years and on the wedding night, he marries the pretty one, but as they go off to consummate the marriage, Uncle Laban does the old (laughs) and takes the pretty one and puts the plain one in there and Jacob wakes up the next morning, he's like, ah, I married the wrong girl. So he goes to Uncle Laban. See, the Bible says this, whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. And wearing a mask will cause you to sow stuff into your today that will bite you in your tomorrow. So he works another seven years and marries the pretty one and The Bible says that the plain one produced more offspring for Jacob than the pretty one. And that caused tension. Can you see a pattern here? That caused tension in in Jacob's home. And eventually Jacob and Laban have falling out and they can't coexist. So Jacob decides, I'm going to go home. And on his way home, he remembers, mate, I can't go home. I've got a brother that wants to kill me. So he sends stuff in front of him and tries to bribe him, tries everything in his own effort to make the way clear and then a strange thing happens. I want to read it to you. It seems strange. But on his way home, this is what happens. Genesis 32. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. The man said, your your name will no longer be Jacob, deceiver, supplanter, but your name will be Israel. Why? Because you have struggled with God and humans and you have over." Come, friend, I want to tell you today that if you will struggle right, God will do what he can do. That you don't have to manipulate it and make it happen. But God said, no longer will your name be Jacob, deceiver, but your name will now be Israel, which literally means someone who wrestles with God because you have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because he saw God face to face and my life was spared. For the first time in Jacob's life, he fought something face to face. He didn't put a skin on. He didn't try and be someone else. He went to God challenges and all in honesty and openness. And in that moment, God said, now I can change who you are. Because God can't change who you pretend to be. God can only work with who you actually are. So Jacob is wearing masks because he's born into a world of competition and he thinks he has to win. Jacob is wearing masks because he's looking for validation and worth. And Jacob is wearing masks because he's going after something that God never designed for him to have. So why can we 
dare to live beyond the mask and let God in? I'll tell you why. Because in a world of competition, number one, God is not a limited resource. There isn't a limited amount of God to go around. We don't need to fear that we will miss out with God. He is big enough and has enough for every single one of us. He's not got limited attention like a human father. You have all the attention of heaven right now. I have all the attention of heaven right now. God can't love me any more than he does right now and God can't accept me any more than he does right now. If someone else is accepted, doesn't mean there's less for me. And if someone else's wins in life, doesn't mean there's less for me because we serve a God who is unlimited. He has not got limited resource. You don't have to lose for me to win God has unlimited resource secondly when we're all looking for worth ultimately it's God that gets the final say in our worth Jeremiah 18 God tells the prophet to go down to the potter's house and there the prophet watches the potter sit in front of the potter's wheel with clay on the potter's wheel going round and the potter is, is making stuff and some he discards and some he works on and it's a picture of God working with his kids. He is the potter, we are the clay and if there is blood in your veins and if there is breath in your lungs, God has not discarded you to go on with the next. He's still working with you. He's still got value in you. There's still worth in you. He's still molding and shaping and creating you to be all he's called you to be. You don't have to look for worth in other places. Your worth is found connected to the potter who is molding and shaping your life. And thirdly, Ben, come on back and join me. We don't need to be perfect to know perfection. We don't need perfection to know perfection. Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12 says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of your faith. That you don't need to be perfect to know the one who is perfect. Not only is he perfect, but he's in the process of perfecting that. And if a perfect God is willing to wrestle with us in our dysfunction, we don't need to pretend to be perfect. We can deal honestly with Him and with others. Did you catch that? If a perfect God is willing to wrestle with us in amongst our dysfunction and our challenges, then we don't need to try and portray a perfect face to God. God would rather wrestle with us honestly than have us hide perfectly. So many of us are trying to portray perfection. How you doing? Good? How's, how's the week? Great? It's not good and it's not great. You've had the worst fight you've ever had. You've got more bills than you've ever had and you ran over the cat on the way to... So the week's getting better. But is it... 
Listen, we don't need perfection to encounter perfection. The potter takes in perfect clay, puts it on the wheel and works with it. Anyone thank God that we're not in religion, but we're in relationship with a God who is working with us and wrestling with us and sees through our imperfections and sees through our challenges and accepts us just the way we are. I love that God and Jacob had a wrestle. And at the end of it, God says to Jacob, no longer are you deceiver, but you are now Israel because you've struggled with me and you've overcome. I get the chance to rename and reshape you. Because you've given me the real you. Friend, today, God wants the real you. He doesn't want who you think He wants you to be. He doesn't want who you wish you were. He doesn't want who you wish you were someone else. He wants you. Your bad attitude, your shortcomings, your failings, my history, my humanity, He wants me. I don't know how you came to be in church. I don't know what's got you to this point. I don't know what your story has been. But can I tell you, the most freeing day in any human being's life is when we drop the masks and we drop the facade and we drop the I wish and we drop the I could of and we say, God, here I am. I don't think it's much, but you think it's much. Here I am. Would you accept me and journey with me? Would you be the potter that would mold me and shape me to be the husband you called me to be, to be the dad you've called me to be, to be the friend you've called me to be, to be the son you've called me to be, to be the daughter you've called me to be, to be the employee and the boss. God, I'm not there yet. But I don't need to put on any sheepskins and deceive someone. All I need to do is say, God, here I am. Would you take me? We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.